is such a weighty passage. Or you could look at it as, what a passage that removes so much weight. You don't have to live by the list anymore. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. We, when I was a boy, didn't go to Disney movies because we were told that if people saw us go in the theater for that, they'd think we went in for the bad movies too. We couldn't play cards because, oh, people see that, they'll think you're, you're, you're gambling. And we couldn't really move much because that would be dancing. And literally, if somebody tapped their foot to a hymn on the wooden floor hard enough for people to hear, the song leader would stop because that was now a drum. It was instrumental and we had to stop. There were so many don't touches, don't handle, don't be. And it didn't make us better. Well, it didn't make me better. So how do we do this? Well, there's a clue. There's a clue in our next big thing video. If you'll go to our YouTube channel, uh, I, it's on Vimeo, it's on the others uh, as well, but you can find it YouTube really easy right up at the, at the top. Uh, YouTube doesn't make it easy. You go to a place, you think they only have one or two videos. Then you have to click videos, like you'd come there for something else. And then it fills. But when you first go, you'll see something called the next big thing. Um, and Kirsten, by the way, just did a recount. We're in 28 countries. So, yeah, <clears throat> thank you. <clears throat> and we look pretty in all of them, Kirsten. Thank you. Yeah, I give her something and she'll go, okay, I can make that pretty. And sometimes it's, it's, it's a look at me like, this is harder than it needs to be, Patrick, but it's all right. It's fair enough. Uh, it's not the first time I get that look today. So we're good. We're good. There's a hint in there, that next big thing. So listen to that. And there'll be some bits and pieces as we go through. Look at the early church in action. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, and all the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We see a community that is together. They, a lot. They are in each other's lives. They see each other. They know the needs. They know the weaknesses of each other. They're there to help right there, right now, each other grow. And that's a missing ingredient in many churches. Some would say it's a missing ingredient in this church since it is a worldwide church where people can, like Jim and Marat said, worship from their couch. So does that mean we're just creating a bunch of isolated Christian silos out there? Well, I don't think so. In fact, I see a lot of evidence that that's not what is happening. The people are sharing this with neighbors, with people at work, with people at the restaurant. One of our friends in Louisiana said they started a conversation and by the time lunch was over, they were out of cards. People wanted to know more. People wanted to be a part of more. Plus, people are part of something and they feel a part of something. In fact, some say for the first time in their life because here's a church that just talks about Jesus and love and going to work and making it heaven. Just don't wait for heaven make heaven. Be an agent of heaven here. 
We are pilgrims. We are strangers, according to the book of Philippians. So we start now. It, it would be easy to lone ranger your way through this world. It would even be more comfortable for introverts like myself to, to lone ranger, but it wouldn't be good for us. Not, a, not at all. We could try just to watch the videos and live good lives alone, but that's not necessary. We're asking you to share this church, to, to share the sermons or a song or a Monday morning message or the Wednesday class on your social media, but also in your discussions with each other. And more than that, do acts of kindness, not random acts of kindness. Intend to be kind before you leave your house. Actually, before you even open your eyes, if there's somebody else in the house, don't be kind to others and unkind in your house. Be intentionally kind. Do acts of love. Help whoever is in your way with what you have right when it happens. And yet, as we said last week, and this should be looked upon as a part two for last week, and this is our last in this series. What do you do about sin? Everybody wants to know, well, what do you do about sin? When you open your arms and you open your eyes and you open your hearts and you welcome in all who Jesus loves and he loves everyone, you're going to get some people who have obvious destructive sin in their lives. What do we do about that? Um, we don't want to ignore it. We don't want to normalize it. But what do we do about it? Well, a couple of things you might want to remember. Last week we said start with humility. Whenever every one of us are sinners who needs a savior and give the grace to others that God you want God to give to you. In my years in brick and mortar churches, it was a very common thing to assign someone a job and then they unassigned themselves quickly because it was hard. And the reason it was hard was in a church, people don't have to do what you want them to do. And so you could say, all right, now we're going to have a men's day and all the men show up Saturday, but they're not contractually obligated. And so the guy trying to do the men's day would burn out after a bit and stomp in my office. And I remember one of my dear friends, Sam, came in and he said, I'm just done. I'm just done. How many times do you give people chances? And I looked at him and I said, you give other people the same number of chances you want God to give you. Kind of changed the room. You be as merciful and as excusing and kind and loving to others as you want God to be to you because they are linked. Christ warned us that if you don't offer forgiveness, you don't get it. And if you don't show mercy, you don't get it. So, if there's a question, go with love. Go with grace. But, how do you deal? How do you deal with an addict who comes in? And I, you can play with addict any way you want to in your head. Drugs, alcohol, sex, work, um, consumer overbuying, financial wreck. However they are. Well, let me just ask you a question. How, what treatments have we found for these addictions? And every one of them involves a non-judgmental community. My wife and I were on a cruise years and years ago. And we walked by a, a room that wasn't being used at the moment. But it had a piece of paper on there and written, Friends of Bill meet here, I don't know, 1.30. And my first thought was, because I'm not in that community, 
well, Bill must be having a reunion on the ship because things like that happen. And then it hit me. That's AA. Alcoholics Anonymous will put up friends of Bill so that they don't have the mark of Cain as they're walking in the door. And the thing about AA or NA or any of these groups is that you're allowed to tell your story, even your failures, and the others don't pile on top of you. If you had your five-year sobriety coin and then you fell off the wagon and you've, you fell off six wagons that the day before, nobody climbs on your case or says, we're just so disappointed in you. They immediately start wanting you back in the community. How many times in my life, I, I can't count it, I've had people say they wish the church was like AA. Well, it should be. What We're supposed to be the community that helps the people who have obvious destructive sin in their life without judging them. Because we have obvious destructive sins in our life. We just don't think they're that big or that destructive. Our sins are kind of little. God goes, oh, they're cute. I understand. Other people, no, no. They're wrong. They should be destroyed. It is not okay to think when we approach someone who we think is in trouble that we emphasize that we're not like them, that they're not okay, and they need to be a part of us and look like us. That's not okay. Jesus never told us, go make other people like you. No. It's, um, you know, we're children. And in a healthy family, children don't get to make the rules. God makes the rules. And Jesus warned against judging for this very purpose. Matthew chapter 7, people use it and they sling it around and they beat people up over it, but it is still in the Bible. And it are, it, they are the words of Christ. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So, um, I have never in my life put on a, one of the bumper stickers by the way, before the internet, kids, uh, people used bumper stickers and CB radio. That was their internet. So that you understood who they were and where they stood. And you'll see, there are some cars that haven't gotten the memo that we've got the internet now, so they're still plastered. But churches would think, hey, it's a great, uh, it's a great way to advertise us to say, follow me to the Church of Christ or the Church of Christ salute you or you know, join me at Grace Fellowship Baptist Church, whatever it was, right? I would never put one on my car. And I, people would look at me, my own father, and would say, well, why won't you? And I said, because I make mistakes. And I don't want to do something stupid and have people check out the bumper sticker. Instead, I want to understand, I'm going to win them one by one, not by, wow, that bumper sticker changed my life. When's the last time anybody said that to you? When's the last time anybody said to you, you know, we had an argument on Facebook, and I think they're right. It's changed my life. I'm going to never... It doesn't happen. Community does. Love does. Paul warned against judging, and we read this last week in Romans 2 and verse 1, that we have no right to judge another because we ourselves are guilty of sin. So let me put it, let me give you a phrase. Salvation is two things at once. Salvation is an event, but it is also a process. 
it is an event because I can point to the day where I was baptized, when I was baptized. I can, cannot tell you the day I started believing because I grew up in a house where the story was told. And I'm not sure I can even narrow that down somehow. But other people can say, I, I turned my life to Christ at this moment. And then I was baptized at this moment. Or the day we were convinced that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and we needed a Savior. But it's also a process. That was an event, or those were events. But I'm not where I was in my walk with God 40 years ago. Are you? I'm, I'm not where I was five years ago. He keeps redeeming different bits of me. And showing me other bits that need redeemed. Seriously. I don't know that other preachers will admit this, but there are times where I really think, okay, I think I got it now. <laughs> I got this God stuff done. And I'm open and I'm loving and then God will trot somebody out I've forgotten. And it's usually not a person, person as in, you know, Bob or John. It is a, it's an archetype. It's a type of individual that I still in my heart had not yet loved without judgment. And I'll go, oh, thought the bucket was empty. It wasn't. More work to do. Now, please be aware of a fact. I and you are saved. Totally, overwhelmingly, absolutely saved. We're more saved than we need to be. And I say that because God paid for us more than we're worth. That's the point. But I'm also still being saved. The Bible says the blood of Christ continually cleanses you of sin. It doesn't stop because we don't stop needing a Savior. This week, Cammie and I will celebrate 43 years married. And I can truly say I know Cammie. I can also truly say I'm still learning about who Cammie is. I can say that living with Cammie, I'm also learning more about who I am. Because that's what happens when you're in community. And we are called to be in community. That's why we're encouraging the creation of house churches. That we will back up. We'll visit. We'll do everything we can to get to you. We welcome people into our community. And then we stay in the community. We believe that God is saving. And this is so important. We believe that God is saving the person. Whose life concerns us. It may surprise you to know that with the Supreme Court ruling of this last week, that I was getting emails. Maybe that doesn't surprise you. This one might. I was getting emails from Christians on both sides. Thanking God, how dare they? And wanting me to answer. Now, I'm very much anti-abortion. I don't think I'm an absolutist on very many things. But I do treasure life. And I love life and I believe life is a gift. So what should I do with someone who disagrees with me about a point in the process? I should love them and ask them what's the best thing I can do for them right now. Because none of those alcoholics got better by being yelled at, shunned, turned aside. They had to find a community non-judgmental with which they could form relationships and therefore, if I look at somebody and go, if you are this way on this point, you're just a, you're a sinner. Instead, I'm going to have to just say, I love you because God loves you. 
What can we do with each other? How can we help each other? Paul could not have been more plain about this in Romans 14. Except the one whose faith is weak. Without quarreling over disputable matters. By the way, you know what we always do? Well, this matter is not disputable. Sure it is. We're disputing it. Which makes it disputable. That's how language works. One person's faith. You might think you're... Set, you're well, I'll, all right, I'll tell you a story. This is not my story. It comes from a Christian church preacher I heard years and years ago. He said that he went... He really loved this girl. He wanted to marry this girl. Eventually he did. But he knew he had to get in good with the father. And father was kind of a hard, old, plain man of the ground farmer. And he wasn't sure about this college boy. So he figured, what I'll do is I'll help. You know, I'll just help him around the farm. And one day they were replacing boards on a barn. And his job, the boy's job, was to hold the, the board while the other person nailed into it. While the, the dad nailed into it. And the nail would come out the other end, and then the boy was to, to, to bend it down, you know, cinch it down, knock it down. And so every time, you know, then is, it, is it through? Yes, and bang, bang, bang. And then the next time there was bang, 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 but there was no response, no other banging by the, the boy. The farmer yelled out, did the nail came th come through? And he said, no. And he said, well, I guess that one just clinched itself. The clinching of itself. And the, and the boy took from that a, a, a lesson. Sometimes we hammer our arguments home thinking that clinches it. But it never reached the other person. It's not clinched to them. They still have questions. So what are we going to do? Scripture says, you don't judge them. In fact, verse 4, who are you to judge another one's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And here's a sentence that's in the Bible. They will stand. The very person you have a real issue with. They will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. Don't you worry. Once I had somebody, when I talked about this, come up to me and go, but, but Paul withstood Peter to his face. I said, I know that incident very well. I said, do you know what's not in that incident? If you don't know, Peter kind of chickened out uh, whenever the Jewish friends who were his friends didn't approve of him eating with Gentiles. And so although Peter knew better than to not fellowship the Gentiles, he kind of huddled around the Jews and Paul withstood him to his face. So you can call that racism. I said, you know what's not in that story? Paul withstood him to his face and God strongly approved of that tactic. It's not in there. You never see Paul and Peter working together. They don't. Could have. Didn't. Paul also had that attitude with John Mark. You remember that? And near the end of his life, you could tell he regretted that. The Bible shows us stuff. It doesn't always approve of what it shows us. But many of us miss the fact that they never worked together. And that there was no sense of approval of God. We need to not withstand others to their face, but put arms around them and say, you're struggling, I'm struggling. What do we have in common? How can we work together? By the way, passages, they're in the dozens in the New Testament. James put it another way, James, the brother of Jesus, and I hope I'm not 
you know, just being too repetitive, but the Bible, is, it just keeps coming with this. And it's amazing how people just don't see it. John chapter, I'm sorry, James chapter four, verse 11. This is kind of odd, so we'll talk about it. Brothers and sisters do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. You're eating from that tree. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Wow. What does it mean to judge the law? We judge the law when we say the sin of our neighbor is greater and more dangerous than our sin. We've taken a law and we've decided which parts are more important than the others. We have judged the law. That's what that means. C.S. Lewis put it that we always believe we have reasons for our sin and they're understandable that other people do not have reasons. Or as my son-in-law, Josh Graves, put it, we want to be judged by our intentions. We want to judge others on their actions. We have become judges of the law. Take a look at the Great Commission. That Matthew 28, most of you, if you're church people, you know this. If you're not church people, it's the last, last paragraph in the book of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We know the Great Commission. It says to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if you want to be baptized, please let us know. Please let us know. That means more than placing them in water, by the way. It means to bring them to the point where their dedication and loyalty is to God and not us or our group. You are not baptized into a Baptist church, a Lutheran church, a church of Christ, or our safe harbor. You are baptized into Christ, period. And your loyalty is to him. And then what do you do? In that passage, after the baptism, you teach them to obey the teachings of Jesus. Not everything that happens in the Bible is a teaching of Jesus. We have to really pay attention. What is a teaching of Jesus? And that teaching is done through preaching, through teaching. The difference between preaching and teaching is teaching is done in smaller groups or private. But the preacher or the teacher is never given the right to target any particular group or any particular sin and hold it up as more vile than the others. Now, just teach the words of Jesus. And what does the community do? The community lives out the story. It lives out the teaching. We know we'll do it imperfectly, but we help each other up. I've been thanked many times in my life for helping somebody up. And my response is always the same. I'm doing it because I need you standing when it's my turn to fall. Because that turn has come and will come. So we need to help each other up. So that somebody will be up when it's our turn to go down. All of us need to be on guard. That we do not substitute our judgment, our, uh, our rules or our ideas about those, uh, rather for those of God. Jesus warned us in Matthew 15 verses 8 and 9. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Or in other words, their worship means nothing. Because their teaching is just rules taught by men. Does that sound like what Jana read to you out of Colossians? Rules made by men. Don't touch this. Don't touch that. Don't do this. And as Paul said, that looks like it's valuable for morality, but it has no power. 
As I've said before, state patrol can make me go a certain speed limit. They can't make me like it. That's what I'm talking about. Rules don't change our heart. Paul actually gives us the exact formula for how not to judge. And it's in Colossians 2, verse 20 through 3, 2. What Jana read for us today. When someone's choices troubles you, instead of confronting them, find out what you agree upon and work with that. That's all you can do. Trust God to sort out and to treat everybody with grace and kindness and mercy because he is the best and the only judge. Christianity is a one another religion. Go to Romans, go to Hebrews, go to 1 Thessalonians and just mark every time it says one another or some semblance of that phrase. You'll be amazed. So be involved. Share the media. Share what we're doing here. Open your home or go to the home of someone near you that they will open for you. Form community out there because it has not worked to keep building edifices and practice a were the right one cheers in a building. It is not working. We got to do something else. By the way, in the New Testament, there were rare occasions where someone had to be put out of the fellowship and it broke them up so much they had to come back. In churches today, they put, they disfellowship somebody that already disfellowshiped them years ago. It's kind of like we're just making it official. It has no power except to make us feel better. So we're not going to disfellowship anybody. Ever. We're just not. I want to tell you a story. It's a deeply personal story. wasn't planning to tell it because I didn't have it till yesterday. But in these songs we sang together today, true simplicity to bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. We will change to help our brother. We will bow. We will become poor for our brother. We will do what it, what's necessary. Abide with me. We will work with the, all of the songs were about this. But my mother was my teacher yesterday, as she has been much of my life. This, again, deeply personal. My mother uh, had some mental episodes that we had to move her out of assisted living because she did what they call an elopement. She left the facility and was in danger. So we put her in memory care up here. Tremendous blessing. It's a fantastic place. It's beautiful. It's clean. The people are wonderful. Her room is great. She loves that. But on day one, I looked around and I went, uh-oh. Because my mother is so much more mentally present than anybody else here. And so we paid for the top guy to come and interview her and nail exactly where she is. And I'll just say there's a zero to seven scale. Uh, the higher the numbers, the worse you are. Seven is super profound. Zero is perfect. And my mother is in three and change. And he's talking to me and he said, first of all, your mother is the most lovely individual I've ever met. I said, I hear that from everybody. Thank you. He said, she's engaging. She's happy. And here's where she is. And he said, I got to tell you, we don't suggest moving anybody to memory care before they hit a five. And I said, that's what I was afraid of. I was afraid that I'd made an error and I don't know what to do. I, I feel like, should I move her to assisted living where 
you know, just in the next building over and then eventually move her back. I mean, she's just had a move. And he said, well, if she hadn't done the elopement, I would have agreed. He says, but she seems happy. And she told me she's happy. And I said, okay. And I hung up and I told Cammie, I'm going to go see her. And I sat down with my mom and I said, mom, I told you day one, I'll be straight with you. Here is what we see. If we knew that the medicine they gave you was going to help you that much, we wouldn't have put you in this facility. Because when I look around, everybody here is a lot worse off than you. And she goes, yes, they are. And I said, so you told your doctor you're happy and you love your room and you love being here. She goes, I do. And I said, for your own mental health and such, would you like to move to the other facility? Because I'll do it today. And she goes, no, no. I think these people need me. And we talked then about, she says, these people are my ministry. I think I can get them talking again. I think I can get them doing more. And I said, Mama, being here, it's possible this may speed your decline. And she said, that's okay. There's a person that looked at situation that most of us would have said, this is tragic. It's got to be fixed now. And instead she thought, what is God doing and what can I do to help him? No wonder I love my mama. No wonder I want us as a people to be more like her. Because she's Jesus with estrogen. Well, <laughs> used to be. They pulled her engine, but still. <laughs> There's a medical term for that somewhere. But anyway, she still has the light of Christ in her heart and in her eyes. And I'm thinking, all right, I want to be more like Mama. And I want our church to be more of a, it doesn't matter where I am. What can I do right here? The only way we can be that way is to surrender everything. And two of our members have sent us a song, uh, I Surrender All. We invite you to sing with them and with us.